Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast and it's the final race of the season, another season gone by and wow it has absolutely gone by in a flash. We've had 17 races in the space of 23 weeks. Who could have thought that at the beginning of the year when we were dealing with the global pandemic that was COVID-19 that delayed the start of the Formula 1 season. Fast forward all the way to December And we have completed a 17 race calendar, which is certainly more than enough races. And it's a fantastic achievement by everyone involved. And it is such a shame that it's gone by in such a flash. But nonetheless, we will analyze this final race of the season in the same way that we do the others. And uh, without further ado, let's get started. My name is Adam Burns, one of the hosts of the DNF1 podcast. And joining me, my co-host for the final time this season, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this evening? Are the uh, emotions already flooding through after another season has flown by? Yeah, hello everyone. Um, it still hasn't set in that this season's come to an end, really. As, as you've already said, like I said, it's it's gone by so fast. It's it's like I don't know. It just still feels like we're almost at the beginning of the season. It's it's gone by that quickly. But jeez, uh, what a season it's been! And I think it's going to take a long while for us to uh, look back to what has actually been quite an exceptional season. It certainly has. A very, very memorable season for so many reasons. Some highs, some lows, you know, some great achievements and some standout performances by certain individuals, not necessarily just the drivers in the cars themselves, but a culminated effort from so many people. I mean, the FIA, the stewards, the marshals, the organisers, Michael Massey, in particular the race director, Chase Carey, and everyone at Liberty Media. And not to mention also, the drivers, the teams, and also the families and friends of those drivers and teams that have had to deal with not seeing their loved ones for a very much a long condensed period. But uh, it's been an incredible effort from everybody to get a Formula One season, considering, as I mentioned earlier, there was a time where we certainly felt we'd be lucky to get eight races in a Formula One calendar, which was the minimum that was required to complete a full season. We ended up getting more than double that in 17 over the space of 23 weeks, which is incredible. It's almost felt like there's been a race every single week. It's gone by in a flash. So, you know, I think first things first, we need to acknowledge and applaud the effort from everybody 
that's been involved in making this season a very memorable one and not to mention a successful one. It's been an absolutely phenomenal effort. It just shows once again that when times are difficult and they have proven to be very difficult this year for a lot of people for so many different reasons, not necessarily just COVID, you know, organisations, sport in some ways and the people involved in that, the amazing people involved in that can all come together to produce what has been anything but a successful season. It's been fantastic. I should say an incredible season. So, you know, it's been brilliant as a fan. I think it's fair to say, at least from my perspective, I'm wondering if you guys might agree or not. That's up to you. But uh, even though the championship has been pretty much one-sided, the season has produced many memorable moments and many classics as well that will certainly go down in the memory banks, which uh, has allowed us to really cope in uh, an otherwise difficult period of all of our lives and certainly in human history. Uh, Sport, once again, certainly coming to the fore for us when we needed it the most. And uh, obviously you guys want to echo those efforts. You're more than welcome to in the comment section, so please feel free to. I'm sure, Courtney, you probably echo those efforts as well. Yeah, I mean... For a season that at one point we didn't even expect to happen, it delivered so much better than I could possibly have dreamed of. You know, because particularly at the start, I thought, okay, as a Lewis Hamilton fan, it's brilliant, Mercedes are dominating, but I thought that it was just going to be a very basic season. There wasn't going to be much development from the teams given the circumstances, but we saw some great battles, particularly in the midfield, which, you know, went through, as we'll be covering in a moment, went through to the final race, And we saw, actually, this season, I think we've, the fans have gained more heroes than I have in any other season. I could probably think of half a dozen F1 heroes, great stories that have come out of this season. And um, I think definitely the fans have taken, have taken, yeah, I'd say at least half a dozen of these drivers to their hearts this season. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, in most sports, we tend to, probably think of these guys as sort of larger than life characters and in formula one i think it's no different i think in particular perhaps more than other sports you kind of see a contrast in the worlds that these guys live compared to us it's almost as if they're untouchable but this season more than others you know these guys have really all come together to put on a great show for everybody and it's an incredible effort from everyone so yeah from us And I'm sure many others would just like to say thank you so much to everyone that's been involved, not necessarily involved in the actual planning and organisation or the races themselves, but those that have had to make those sacrifices in that condensed period to put on what has been a fantastic season, you know, for all accounts. So, you know, that's absolutely brilliant stuff from them. And uh, as I said, it's such a shame that it's all come to an end so suddenly. Um, 96 days now until lights out in Melbourne, Australia, assuming that everything goes according to plan. Of course, COVID vaccines are now starting to be released around the world, most notably in the UK, being the first country to approve uh, some of the vaccines. So hopefully that does the, uh, it delivers on the required objectives and allows us to sort of return to some level of normality over the next few months. And of course, across the world, that will continue to improve also. So we're getting there. That's always a good thing. But This, of course, is not a COVID podcast. This is a Formula One podcast, and we do have a race to talk about. And uh, before we do, just noticing for those of you watching on YouTube, Courtney looking rather sharp this evening. 
Looks like he's got a nice little haircut there. I completely forgot that the hairdressers were open, but... Uh, Adam? Yeah. Adam, you continue to flatter me, and I don't know how to take compliments. So there's a reason for an awkward silence. Nothing bad against you. <laughs> I just don't know how to take compliments, but thank you nonetheless. Well, there's a reason why you're the eye candy on this podcast, Courtney, and it's good to see that you're maintaining those expectations. <laughs> Goodness um, sake. I, I was going to swear. You're lucky I didn't swear. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to get used to to take compliments, Courtney, because I'm just going to keep dishing them out for you, mate. But um, anyway, of course, we do have a race to talk about. And uh, I think first things first, even though it's been a fantastic season, uh, today was certainly not the most enthralling race of them all. Of course, there are so many talking points, many things that we're going to remember from this race, certainly not the uh, on-track action itself. But the main talking points, of course, Lewis Hamilton returning to the Formula One grid uh, after recovering from COVID-19 although he did say that he was still struggling a little bit not really feeling 100% but you know we'll talk a little bit briefly about how that affected George Russell but first things first it was fantastic to see Lewis uh, doing much better feeling a lot better than he was last week and considering that it was touch and go as to whether or not he was going to race it was really good to see Lewis back at the hands of the W11 for one last time at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and uh, which obviously culminated him getting a podium. Wasn't a victory to end off the season for Mercedes in Lewis's hands, but nonetheless, a good performance from himself and the team. But the race itself was won by Max Verstappen, getting his 10th win of the season, uh, so 10th win of his career, I should say, 10th win of the season. <laughs> that takes some doing. His second win of the season, his first since the 70th anniversary Grand Prix earlier in the season at Silverstone. And uh, what did you make? of the race itself, Courtney. Were you happy with the performance of the drivers involved? Did you feel that the race was won for the memory banks? I'll be honest. I'm going to compare this to a football analogy, right? Now, you know when you get to the end of the season and then you have two midfield, um, mid-table teams face each other, I don't know, it'd be like Southampton versus Crystal Palace on the 5th of May. Mm. I do know that most of the players are on the beach and it's just going to be a nil-nil or one-nil scrapping in the 55th minute and everyone goes home, season's over. That's how it felt. Um, I think Red Bull will be very happy because they have been plugging away all season. Um, there are some things to consider from the Mercedes end. You had a car that's engine off was coming towards the end where they could have possibly turned the engine power down and obviously... Lewis himself was still recovering from the effects of COVID, but Red Bull are going to be very happy with this. And going into next season, they will use this energy. And it'd be very interesting to see how they get on in um, pre-season. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a very good point to make, given that, you know, momentum going into the following season with a win is so underestimated. I, I think sometimes we don't appreciate that winning the final race of the season can really motivate your team to say, look, you know, today, Red Bull would have known that it's been a very difficult season for them, particularly when fighting Mercedes. They know they've really been fighting an almost insurmountable uh, a challenge in Mercedes. And, you know, they've been plugging away for a long time. They haven't really been able to go toe-to-toe with them as often as they would have liked. Certainly, they would have preferred Max Verstappen in particular to have an even fight with Lewis Hamilton. Of course, that did not come to fruition this season. But on a day like today, really summed up Red Bull and Max Verstappen to a T this season, where they've been so, so good in so many ways. Clearly, above and beyond the rest of the field 
uh, where we expected them to be. But they've always been able to pick up those results when Mercedes are not at their best. And on a day like today, as you said, Lewis Hamilton struggling still with the after effects of COVID-19. Valtteri Bottas perhaps in uh, siesta mode, if you like, not really on trying. Yeah, if you like, he's already thinking about relaxing and taking time off. And as you should be as a driver, to be honest, after the season that he has had, it's not been the easiest one mentally for him. But, um, you know, and, and also the Mercedes engine you mentioned having to run without maximizing the MGUK output. Now, of course, for those of you that don't know what the MGUK is, in a long story short, its main purpose is to harvest energy uh, when the car is uh, braking and also to deploy that energy to give the, the uh, car some extra boost. Now, because it was coming to the end of its life, the end of the season, they always get free of every part except for a few that get two. It was running close to the end of its life. They encountered problems. They knew there was issues with it. So they decided to run them at not sure what percent but an arbitrary number definitely not 100 percent, and uh, that obviously gave red bull the advantages that they needed on the circuit that max verstappen took full advantage of and he was fantastic in the race he was fantastic in qualifying to get pole position and it culminated as we said in a very comfortable win for max verstappen with mercedes just accepting that they were going to come second and third at best today so it's a brilliant performance from red bull and Max Verstappen. It's the sort of result that they would need going into the winter break. We've heard a lot about Honda in particular with their final engine, or at least as far as we know, will be their final engine for the Red Bull team next season. They've talked this up a lot. They said it's going to give them such a power performance um, uh, increase, I suppose, is, uh, without knowing what better to call it. Lose my words. We'll go with that. We'll yeah, go let's, that. <laughs> let's go with that. I'm not the most articulate, but uh, anyway, um, yeah, it's going to give them a boost in performance. And I feel that, you know, that they're certainly saying that Mercedes may have to keep an eye out for them next season a lot more than they already have been. I mean, they've certainly been on their radar, but uh, if things go well, given the limited aero improvements that teams can make over the winter, this could prove to be what Red Bull need to go into the winter break and perhaps provide Max Verstappen in particular with a car that can challenge, especially Lewis Hamilton, to uh, for the World Championship next season. I mean, where do you feel Red Bull needs to improve Courtney in order to, as I said, maintain or sustain a championship challenge to Mercedes next season? Now, I don't want to go off on a tangent because we do love going off on a tangent on this channel, but in this case, I feel it's necessary because I feel that Red Bull could probably make the step over the winter to get close-ish enough to Mercedes to the point where the second driver is going to make a difference. And I feel that the decision between either Albon or Checo Perez going into next season will define whether they can make a real challenge for next year's championship or not. I think that's a really good point. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because it was going to bring us on to the next point with Albon, who, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, he drove a pretty good race today. You know, qualifying was okay-ish. Probably would have been disappointed to get out qualified by Lando Norris in the McLaren. But, you know, he was able to recover that position quickly. The safety car came out following Sergio Perez's retirement, ironically, which was a shame for him and the Racing Point team, which we'll talk about in a bit. But, um, you know, it it came at a good time for Alex, who was on the softer tyres, was not looking forward to the strategy as the others were on the mediums and was worried about guys behind him that were also on the medium tyres. That safety car kind of alleviated that issue 
And Alex pretty much drove a very lonely race in the second stint of that Grand Prix. But he did a good job to the point where he was literally on the tail of Lewis Hamilton towards the end of the Grand Prix. And, you know, that is exactly what Red Bull need from Alex Albon. And this will be the annoying thing. Of course, today, Red Bull had such a performance advantage, not just over Mercedes, but over everyone else, where it does seem logical that Alex would finish fourth and quite comfortably in the top four over the rest of the field. You could see that golf was widening and widening and widening. And Abu Dhabi does tend to showcase who has performance and who doesn't more than most tracks. But it's going to be frustrating for Red Bull now because they've got a big, big decision to make over the next two weeks or so. Well, I say two weeks, it could be longer over who's going to be in that second seat alongside Verstappen next year. Because Alex Albon, on a day like today, wasn't, you know, incredible. He wasn't amazing. He didn't set the world alight, but he did exactly what his team needed him to do. Not only did he finish in the top four, but he was close enough to the Mercedes pairings of Bottas and Hamilton, where Mercedes could not afford to make a pit stop change their strategy to allow one of their cars to try and put pressure on Max Verstappen at the lead. They gave them, he gave them their second gunner, the rear gunner to support Max. And that is important because that is exactly what Red Bull need for him to do. The problem, as we've seen all season, is that that sort of performance from Alex Albon is not as often as Red Bull would like it to be. So, you know, today we could have expected Alex perhaps to have a subpar performance as perhaps his season has expected us to believe he would deliver and it would perhaps make the decision a lot easier to bring in Sergio Perez. It doesn't because, of course, he's driven well and he's done a few of those this season. It does make Red Bull really have to ponder over who to put in that car next season because, quite frankly, I think you and I agree uh, it, the logical answer would be Sergio Perez and you can chuck all the numbers and statistics at it and it almost seems like a no-brainer but there are a few caveats that we have to consider to this number one and this is no way favoritism at all but this is a factor being a Thai driver uh, or British Thai driver if you like there are connections to the Red Bull team through Taiwanese ownership of the Red Bull brand that means that there is a chance that there could be the factor where they may want a Taiwanese driver in that, a Thai driver in that car. I should say not Taiwanese, a Thai driver in that car. And that will go in Alex's favour. Red Bull also like Alex Albon as a person. They like him as a driver. They do rate him. They do feel he has a lot of potential to tap into. But the problem is they are not 100% confident that Alex can deliver or has delivered this season, a performance that, uh, you know, would allow them to think that he's within a few temps of Max Verstappen and is able to put in similar performances to what he did today. And that is an issue. And that's where we have the Sergio Perez factor. Um, I mean, Courtney, we've seen a lot from Sergio Perez this season. You know, it, in a weird way, it's kind of nice that the last performance from Sergio Perez this season, hopefully not of his career in F1, was that was the victory at the Sakir Grand Prix rather than having to think too much about the retirement today uh, for Force India, which was not his fault. Of course, he had engine oil issues, apparently. So, you know, that's not really ideal. But, um, you know, you look at Perez's performance and you compare it to what Alec Alex Albon has achieved this season. It almost seems like a no-brainer when you take all of those external factors that I've mentioned out of the equation. Yeah, I mean, if you have a look at the Drivers' Championship itself, Sergio Perez finished fourth. And then when you look further down, you have 
Alex Albon, who wasn't even that far ahead of Charles Leclerc, who was driving, let's be honest, an absolutely awful Ferrari this season. Mm. Don't want to be too harsh on the guy, but I just look at the Drivers' Championship. You know, we've we've had this conversation so many times, the big debates about the car, the car not being able to establish who's the better driver. But Alex has been in a far superior car to the likes of the Racing Point, the McLaren two are nearby, and and obviously that awful Ferrari. And Albon was in that mix in the Drivers' Championship at the end of the season, so. Formula One's a very hard sport. If if you have a look at that aspect alone, I think it speaks volumes. And and you, you can't you can't see the driver that's probably been the best to the rest of us, obviously apart from the Mercs and Max, just drop out the sport when actually I think he's he, the, the championship alone a showcase why he should be a part of one of the bigger teams. And I just I it's the fact that Red Bull haven't made a decision yet that shows how torn they are because the big issue is, the biggest issue, the biggest cause of this headache that Red Bull have is Yugi Tsunoda. If Yugi Tsunoda wasn't in the mix, then probably the easier decision would be would be to drop Alex, drop Alex back down to Alpha Tauri and you'd have like this entertaining almost playoff between himself and Gasly next season, which I personally would love to see and give Sergio Perez a go in a red ball. Now you've got Yugi Sonoda in a mix. You've now got... Red Bull now got this horrible decision where they could possibly let one of the most talented drivers outside the biggest teams drop out altogether. Or one of the drivers, as you've already stated, they do have a lot of faith in and a tie driver drop out. It's not like... it's There's high stakes, and that's why Red Bull gets to make a decision on a matter. Yeah, I... It's a difficult decision for Red Bull. We can appreciate that. I certainly wouldn't want to be the one making the decision. Although if I was the one making the decision, I'd have, with no external factors to really influence my decision, I would pick Perez. I wouldn't even think about it. And with all the utmost respect to Alex Albon, because I do rate this kid. I do think there is talent there. But perhaps as we saw with Gasly last season, this Red Bull seat, comes with immense pressures. It's almost like being put in a furnace and it doesn't help that you have a teammate like Max Verstappen in your team delivering the level of performances that he does on a weekly basis. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about Max uh, in the coming episodes. As, as I said, he's been a feature this season, but not necessarily for the wrong reasons, but it's hard to really judge um, you know, how he would feel about his season given that he's been kind of the third wheel in the Mercedes success story, but but that's not necessarily a bad thing. But, um, you know, we've seen Perez this season has been fantastic. We've seen the performances he's put in, even if you, t- I mean, and it looks even more impressive if you removed all of the points that everybody picked up in those two races that Perez missed at Silverstone because of his COVID, because uh, he caught COVID. So, you know, you take all that into account and you have a driver who, won his race in Sakir, a race that Alex Albon really should have been in a position to challenge for, if not win himself. And I suppose in a way you could look at that one performance this season, if you want to sum up the two drivers in Perez and Albon, where the caveats and where the differences lie. I would argue that Perez on that first lap, you know, he qualified well, was running third temporarily before the collision with Leclerc that really ruined his race at the time. 
ended up at the back of the field. Of course, the safety car did help him catch the back of the field, but he drove all the way through to the front. And then, of course, that other safety car came out, which put him at the front, and he capitalised on an incredible performance to win after being last at the first lap. Whilst all that was going on, where was Alex Albon? Completely nowhere, by contrast. And this is the problem I feel Red Bull have, is that when those things happen, Max Verstappen would feel like he could have won that race. Charles Leclerc could have felt like he could have won that race. Alex Albon had the car, you know, and he was in the right position to take advantage. It just never happened for him. And he never really put him in the self in that position for it to happen. And I think that's what Red Bull need from their number two driver. And as we said already, we've said so many times on this podcast that, you know, Alex Albon does deserve that opportunity. The Yuki Tsunoda factor does put a huge cloud of doubt as to whether or not Alex, if he is kept on, can deliver that next season. And as you said, Courtney, if Yuki Tsunoda wasn't in Formula One next season, and we say this because it hasn't been confirmed yet, but I will prepare to bet my house that Yuki Tsunoda will be in the Alpha Tauri next season. There's no shadow of a doubt in my mind that that's going to happen. It's like the worst kept secret in Formula One. But, um, you know, if Yuki Tsunoda was not driving for Alpha Tauri next season... Alex Albon, I, in my mind, would be demoted to go alongside Gasly in that Alpha Tauri, as Red Bull probably would want, and Perez would go alongside Max Verstappen. So it's such a difficult decision to make. I, for one, can't see a scenario where it's, everyone's going to be 100% happy with this, but it would be an absolute shame for Sergio Perez to not find himself with a seat in Formula One for next season despite how brilliant he's been. And let's not forget, Perez himself mentioned recently on his YouTube channel when he was going to announce his future and didn't announce his future, ironically, that he had a plan to have a seat in 2022. Now, I don't know where that would be. You'd assume Red Bull would be the team having that plan in place, but it doesn't make sense to keep Albon for another year and then put Perez in that car because that just assumes that Alex is not going to deliver. So it kind of makes that decision pointless beforehand. And it kind of assumes that Yuki Tsunoda might not have a fantastic season and prompt Red Bull to put him in there. And given the relationship with Honda and what's happening, they may need to use Tsunoda as a bargaining chip to try and keep Honda around longer than they originally intended. So, so many factors in. And I just feel that if Perez doesn't get that opportunity next season, I'm worried that he may not get that opportunity in the future. He may have to look at other sports, other forms of racing, and that would be a crying shame. Yeah, and, you know, the point you made about 2022, look, we've seen this season, so much can happen in the space of a season. You know, you Albon, Albon's form could turn around. There could be other forms of politics in Formula One that could change the landscape of this situation altogether. So Perez needs, needs an answer sooner rather than later because at the end of the day he has his own career and his own future to think about so in a way it's not fair on him so Red Bull needs to be making this decision sharpish for not only their sake for actually having some common decency towards not only him but Albon as well yeah absolutely I I, I mean I don't know if Alex Albon knows his future at this point I mean there could be a lot that we don't know no absolutely not I know Sergio Perez certainly doesn't know his future at the moment and um, you know and this is the thing I think Red Bull have given Alex as much time as possible I mean we said he said after the Imola GP they were going to make a decision then that got uh, pushed back to Bahrain then pushed back to Sakir and pushed back you know to Turkey and everything else and it's just got to a point where 
I personally feel Red Bull want to keep Alex Albon in that car next season. But even maybe not maybe not today in particular, as an example, but uh, I, I just feel Alex has not done enough over the course of the season to convince me that he can consistently deliver what Red Bull require next season. And next season could be a huge year for Red Bull. I mean, we talk about 2022 where the reset button is pushed and everybody's sort of on a level playing field. But next season, assuming that that Honda engine delivers the power boost that that Red Bull need to challenge Mercedes, if they're in a position to challenge Mercedes for the championship, and I mean a serious one like what Ferrari had in 2018 in particular, without having that rear gunner that you could argue Seb Vettel didn't really have in Kimi Raikkonen, that could be where the championship is won and lost. And that is why Mercedes constantly have been dominant in this turbo hybrid era because they've always had two drivers fighting at the front and that's ultimately what Red Bull needs we know that it will be an ask for Perez to deliver on that but we know that Perez will more than likely be in that fight at this point in time than Alex Albon but we'll have to wait and see you know Dr. Elmer Marco mentioned soon they will announce their decision in the next couple of weeks um the Alpha Tower situation he said next week but I'm pretty certain we know that it's going to be Yuki Tsunoda that will be replacing Danny Kvyat and uh, will be joining up with Pierre Gasly next season. Just a brief word on Mercedes before we go into the break, Courtney. Um, you know, we talked about Lewis recovering from COVID-19. As fantastic as it was to see him, with all due respect to Lewis Hamilton, and I ask this in the most sincere way possible, was it a bit disappointing that Lewis... Uh, wasn't able to recover, or Lewis decided to come in not at 100% when he could have recovered a bit more and looked after his health um, and made sure he was absolutely fine going into next season uh, instead of allowing George Russell to have another crack. Because I feel that, and I and I ask this because I feel like you have to ask this question, it seemed that George Russell was going to get another opportunity in that Mercedes at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix until the very, very last possible moment, Lewis Hamilton was able to be well enough to get the negative testing needed to get into that car. Do you feel that given what is required to drive a Formula One car, not just from a skill perspective, but a physical and a mental perspective, do you feel perhaps Lewis Hamilton might have allowed himself to rush himself to get into that car rather than take that break off would you have rather seen Lewis take another a bit more time off and allow George another crack or do you think it's better that Lewis was back in the car straight away well Lewis himself said how much of a struggle it was for him physically it was it it was plain to see no disrespect to Valtteri but come on to see Valtteri be like so far ahead of Lewis you don't usually see it happen on unless there's exceptional circumstances which we saw today. But, um, yeah, I think it's a tough one because the this race was a bit of a, a bit of a dead rubber. You know, there was, wasn't really much at stake. I wonder if the situation would have been different if Mercedes and Red Bull were um, still going Hamilton for the uh, Constructors' Championship. I wonder if they would have uh, chosen Russell to drive because Russell, Russell did such a great job last week. And... I think it's plain to see. If we're just putting aside, you know, any kind of emotions towards who's favourite, you know, who's 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 your favourite driver and the human element to it. If you're just talking on a pure racing perspective, it would have been more pragmatic to have had George Russell going because he's he adapted very quickly. I think it'd have been more than willing to have a go, and I think it'd have actually made life a lot harder for Red Bull because 
Bottas, Bottas has been driving like a beaten man for half the season. Mm. And Lewis is still recovering from COVID. So Mercedes were not only weakened by the car, they were also weakened by the two situations of the drivers. And that's what made life so easy for Red Bull. And I think we've been kind of robbed of a better race for not having Russell in that car today. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I, I, I asked this with the, with the most sincerity possible because I know there are going to be a lot of Lewis Hamilton fans that won't be happy about um, me saying that I would have liked to have seen George have another crack because they'll be saying, and, and I've seen this all over social media anyway this week, that, you know, especially the hardcore Lewis Hamilton fans saying it's amazing how many people would rather Lewis Hamilton have not raced in that race than George Russell and then put it down to saying we're not interested in, we'd rather see someone else in there than Lewis Hamilton be fit and healthy. And I'm thinking, well, I kind of understand the point that they're making, but we don't, we don't express disappointment that George has not got another crack at this by saying, oh, we wish Lewis Hamilton was still sick. Now, of course, that would, be, right. that would be madness. I mean, I'm sorry. Right. There are some, a, si- there are some a, sick people yeah. on the internet, but we're certainly not two of them, that's for sure. But Adam, let's yeah. make this clear. Let's make this clear. I have sounded like a massive Lewis Hamilton fanboy, not only on this podcast, but throughout his career. So if I'm saying that it would have been better for Lewis to have recovered more from his COVID and given George Russell, I just feel that would have been a win-win situation. Yes, I get it. Lewis is a racing driver. And it would have pained him. It would have pained him so much to not race. And I did miss having Lewis around last week. I did. Mm. But if you're just thinking on a a pragmatic racing approach. You want to have two fit drivers getting ready to go. If the championship wasn't over for Lewis, if he's still in a driver's championship, then of course, let Lewis race. But he'd already sealed the championship and his health needs to be the priority. He's getting older now. He's in his mid-30s and he needs to be thinking about his physical condition. Now, I know that the new season is about three weeks away, uh, three months away. I wish it was three weeks away. But I know I wish, yeah. But, <laughs> but he needs to, he, he's, he's at the point of his career now where he really needs to be looking after himself. And, you know, we've got all these theories about long COVID. You know, but I, I, I know one or two people that are still suffering with the effects from COVID months on. And it's so important to look after your body, which Lewis has really done. I, I think like stuff like the veganism has really helped him stay at this level at this age. But I, I just hope Obviously, as a big fan, I just hope that he hasn't done himself any damage over this weekend, which could cause him to lose that edge going into next season because I have no shadow of a doubt that Red Bull and Max are going to be a lot closer and we want to be seeing a prime Lewis Hamilton coming up against Max Verstappen. And I'm still very confident that Lewis will get that eighth title Hmm. next season. Yeah. But I just... just, it's, it's, it's mixed emotions. I think I, I can understand from Lewis's perspective why he wanted to drive and then the season on some kind of positive. And I'm sure he'd be very happy to have got a podium. But for the sake of his health, I think it would have been better for him to have just really taken himself away and, you know, reflect on the season and be ready mentally and physically for um, Melbourne next season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the example I used with Lewis was that if Lewis was feeling the way that he was and was driving a normal car on a normal road, most people probably would have decided not to drive if they're not feeling 100%. Uh, I'm pretty sure most 
driving organizations like in the UK, the DVLA will probably agree with me on that one. But uh, and that's only intensified when you're driving a Formula One car. I, I know we say this because of how buzzed we were about seeing George. And that does tend to corrupt, corrupt the opinions. I mean, if it was most other drivers, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't care. But because it's George Russell, I'm like, you know, I'd love to have seen him have another go, especially considering how cruelly the opportunity was taken away from Russell in terms of the race victory that we agree he should have had at Saki and what a story that would have been. But um, I, I suppose... But Adam, I just yeah. want to... Yeah, so I, I, I just want to summarise my feelings on it, just in case it hasn't come across correctly, because I don't, <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm hating on Lewis. I, I, if Lewis I'm anybody fans, saying I've felt... Your lord, and, <laughs> your lord and voice of reason is speaking. <laughs> if I can't, I can't be having people say I don't want Lewis racing. My ideal situation would be to have Russell and Lewis in the same team. But unfortunately, I'm not Toto Wolf. It's not my decision. And as horrible as it's unfortunately, we've still got Bottas on the scene. So unfortunately, we can't have that ideal situation. So for me, it would just been a win-win situation for Lewis to recover, recover from his COVID and to give George another chance. Nothing against Lewis. Well, let's talk briefly about Bottas. I mean, we're going to go into part two soon. It's a, it's a bit of a longer episode, but it's the last race of the season, so I think we can afford that. But um, just briefly on Valtteri Bottas, it's been a hard season for Bottas. Uh, not the season he would have envisaged at the start of the season. He probably would have hoped that he was in the championship fight at least until the final race of the season. Uh, we'll never know how that would happen if it had gone his way. But uh, what does Valtteri need to do or if it's possible for him, what does Valtteri need to do next season to convince Mercedes that he is still the right man to partner Lewis Hamilton? Does he have to win the championship or at least take the fight to Lewis Hamilton or perhaps just continue doing what he's doing this season? I mean, Mercedes have this harmonious position where they've got a perfect balance in an outstanding number one in Lewis and a number two in Valtteri who secured that second place in the Drivers' Championship along with the Constructors' Championship for Mercedes a fair few weeks ago. In your mind, Courtney, what do you feel that Valtteri needs to do in order to stay at Mercedes beyond 2021? Because I think you and I have the opinion that if things continue the way that they are, that it's only a matter of time before George Russell gets that opportunity. Yeah. So there are two things, and I think the, the second point is depending on how Red Bull get on, but the first one is he needs to have a great start. Because he didn't really do that yet. He won the first race and then Lewis come back straight away. I think he needs, if, if Mercedes are dominant again, he needs to be having a great start to the season. For first half, I say first half of the season, he can't just have one or two. He needs to be in the mix by the summer break next season. And two, if Fred Bull are closer, he needs to be putting in drives that keep Max and or whoever it's going to be in that second seat at bay in order to give Mercedes a strategic advantage if Lewis is ahead so they are the two things that Valtteri will need to be doing because it's just becoming more and more obvious that you've got a guy like George Russell that could do a great job for Mercedes and there's going to come a point where other teams will be after George I've seen whispers online that Red Bull might be looking at George so Mercedes need to be thinking about their second driver very very soon yeah no, absolutely right. And uh, I think we've probably covered a lot in this first part, guys. So, um, yeah, we're going to leave it there for part one. And uh, in part two, we're going to be talking about a few other teams, including McLaren 
getting that third place in the Constructors' Championship, a fantastic result for them uh, today, getting fifth and sixth place to allow them to secure that. We're going to be talking about the despair for Racing Point, who just missed out along with Renault. And of course, we're going to have a word on Ferrari and the, some of the other teams towards the end of the episode in part two. So we will see you in part two, guys, of the DNF1 F1 podcast. The DNF1 F1 podcast is a brand new show that covers the latest gossip, news and events in the world of Formula One. In each episode, we discuss the hot topics, interview guests, as well as review each race from the Formula One World Championship. We upload new episodes weekly and we upload our podcast episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Play. We also upload video versions of every podcast episode on the DNF1 F1 Podcast YouTube channel, as well as other great content that you can check out. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the notifications bell so you don't miss out on any new content that we produce. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. The DNF1 F1 Podcast is now active on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the Dean F1 F1 podcast. So hello and welcome back to part two of the Dean F1 F1 podcast. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, guys, uh, around the Turkish Grand Prix, it might have been, we set you guys a challenge of getting us to 100 subscribers on YouTube and also getting that video to 1,000 views. Now, incredibly, you guys came in for us and you allowed us to achieve both targets in a rapid pace. So as a way of saying thank you, we announced that we would do a little giveaway at the end of the season. And we mentioned last week that the prizes on offer for the grand prize winner would be one of these DNF1 F1 podcast shirts that I'm wearing, which you can see it's got our logo and the bit of the design from the cover art done by yours truly on the shirt obviously when we get in this shirt this one's mine um but we do have a shirt for one of you lucky winners and also that person will also receive a dnf1 f1 podcast mug very authentic there's only a few of these around the world so they're very very rare all in my bedroom so uh yeah it's not the most secure place but it will do but two more of you will also win one of those mugs as well so i'm going to hand it over to courtney because he is very kindly going to do a live draw so if you are listening to this podcast on spotify or any of your other favorite podcasting platforms whether they be apple Podcasts, etc etc of course do check those out if you haven't already but courtney is now going to do a live draw to pick out our free winners so courtney if you please can you first of all pick out the grand prize winner who will win the shirt and the mug and of course, okay. the two mugs f- will follow for the runners up positions. Now, of course, for those of you that weren't aware, the uh, entry requirements were to like the previous video we did, also subscribe to the channel on YouTube and follow us and send us a screenshot on the Instagram page as well. So thank you very much to every one of you that took part there were quite a lot of you that took part so we're really really happy that you guys could support us and unfortunately we can't give prizes to all of you so we do apologize if you do not win this time around but there will be other giveaways in the future and uh, you'll have plenty of opportunities to win something from us in due course so courtney it's the season of giving it is indeed let's uh get this giveaway underway so as the official adjudicator for this prize giving um, I just want to show that we haven't already decided 
the winners of the competition. Mm. I have dished out this black flat cap that has featured in a couple of our previous episodes as the hat. And I've put in the entries inside the hat and we're going to be doing a live draw. So I was going to swirl my hand in there, make sure I got all the entries. There will be a drum so... noise in the background, Courtney. <laughs> I'm going to add that in for editing afterwards. So you yeah, guys will hear do. it. But obviously at the time of recording, we're just going to have to make it up. So uh, I'll do it on the table like a this... silent one. This is going to be, there's going to be more suspense in this draw than there was in today's Grand Prix, Adam. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine that, yeah. No doubts in my mind. <laughs> so, this is for first, right? Yeah, so this one will this be for, for the, the shirt, shirt and the mug. So, so both right. of those prizes. This will be our grand so, prize winner. This is probably upside down. <laughs> so this will be, and the winner is... Chloe Wheeler. Well done, Chloe. You've won the shirt and the mug. Well Congratulations done. to Chloe and uh, winning a fantastic shirt. And I can definitely say it's a good shirt because I'm wearing one right now and it's lovely. So uh, I, I don't even have one. Yeah, you're going to get you're going to so... get yours soon, Courtney. Don't worry. Um, I'm off work. <laughs> You've got me matching. Yeah, I'm off work the week after <laughs> this one. So I'll be able to pop down to see you briefly and give you I'm a up, shirt and mug. What I might have to do, I might have to wear the shirt at work. I'm sure my colleagues will absolutely love seeing me at DNF1 match. Well, I'm absolutely counting on it. I mean, I'm expecting, I mean, Courtney's usually very <laughs> active on social media. He's certainly more active than I am. Of course, we've got our Instagram handles in the top left corner of our uh, boxes. So make sure to check those out and follow us as well. But in particular, Courtney's because he definitely puts out some good stuff on there. Uh, uh, plenty well, of animals oh, as well. Uh, so, you know. Yeah, there's, there's, there's plenty of animals. So we're going to go for the second place prize, yeah? So that's yes. just a mug, isn't it? So these two will be our runners-up, and they will win a mug each. Okay. I just want to see. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Here Some you more go. drum noises. Here we go. Some more suspense. Okay. So the first winner of one of our DNF1 mugs is Amanda Riney Lucas. Congratulations, Amanda. Congratulations, Amanda. Okay. You are the... New recipient of a DNF1 F1 podcast mug, and who is our second runner-up, Courtney? Oh well, the suspense, the suspense. I don't know. It might be like a bead of sweat on my forehead. There, I don't know if you can see. It. We're not doing this justice for anyone listening to this podcast on a podcasting <laughs> platform. If you watch it on YouTube, it definitely has a bit more suspense to it, but it's uh, definitely worthy of an FA Cup or Champions League draw. I can say that. That's much. right. I reckon. I reckon I should be called in for the third round draw. Uh, the fourth round draw. Sorry. I'd rather you would. They go through so much crap, like before they actually just draw the teams. That's why, you know, you're only on because the one show is 20 minutes long. Like, get on with it. That's true. Yeah. Like, right. Swirling of the hand, swirling of the hand. And the final winner is, let's have a look, see who it is. Da, 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 da. Sarah Purvis. I hope I said that name right. Sarah Congratulations, Purvis. Sarah. Congratulations. So Sarah, so Sarah is one of our biggest fans. So I'm sure she'll be more than happy to receive the mug. She's been very supportive on the uh, in the comment section. So I'm pleased that she's one of our winners. Yeah, that name does ring a bell, actually. I have seen her in the comment section quite a lot. So uh, yeah. it's nice. You know, of course, you know, with all respect to our other winners as well, we're glad for their support and obviously been rewarded for it on this occasion. But uh, yeah, it's always nice to see some of our more vocal supporters uh, being rewarded for their patronage to this challenge as to this channel as well. So congratulations to Chloe 
uh, Sarah and uh, oh, I've forgotten the other name. Who was Amanda? That one? Amanda, excuse me. I do apologise, Amanda, but congratulations. We will be in contact with you shortly on social media in order to make arrangements to send over your prizes. As for everyone else who entered, I do apologise that we couldn't reward you for your support on this occasion, but. Thank you nonetheless. And there will be plenty more opportunities in the future as we'll be doing plenty of giveaways as time goes on. And of course, for the rest of you that uh, haven't yet subscribed to the channel, there's quite a lot of you guys that check out our content. And of course, as much as we thank you for it, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Of course, the more of you that like our videos and subscribe to the channel, and of course, engage with us either through the comment section on social media, allows our channel to grow more and more and more, which of course increases our exposure to newer fans of this channel and allows us to be able to make more great content. Of course, we've got great plans for 2021. And of course, in order for us to deliver on those promises and those plans, we need your support. So if you haven't already, get subscribing to the YouTube channel. You can see it on here. And uh, if you are listening to us on any major podcasting platforms, make sure to follow us on there as well. We really appreciate your support and uh, we hope that we are doing a good job, at least under your estimations, because your opinions are the ones that count the most to us. And that's exactly why we do this podcast for you guys. So thank you very, if, very much. If I could just quickly chip in, yes. please, please, please join in the conversations in the comment section as well, because we really do. Adam's not just saying this. We really appreciate the feedback. And, we want to be sharing your opinions in future episodes, particularly during the off-season. There's so many topics that there's so much to discuss and we don't have the time to discuss them in a varied way we'd like to sometimes. So please comment. Please join in the conversations and then we can mention your opinions in future episodes. And it not only helps you get your opinion out, it also helps our channel grow. And it just, it'd be a positive momentum going forward. So please comment. It does us a lot of good and it also helps you get your opinion out there. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And we've got big plans for next year. We want to try and hit a thousand, 1000 subscribers on YouTube by this time next year. Can we do it? We absolutely believe we can. Of course, we never expected it at 100 uh, when we started this podcast back in uh, February, I think it was this year. So of course, we need you guys to support us on this. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. Click the notifications bell so you don't miss any of our latest episodes. And thank you very much for supporting us on this journey so far. And uh, yeah, so let's get into part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast now. So we've already talked briefly about Red Bull situation. We've talked about Mercedes. I'm going to backtrack a little bit and talk a bit about Red Bull. Because what we do, guys, when we record these podcasts, we record them in two parts. Sometimes three if we have a really long one. And... In the break, whilst part of the episode or part one is rendering for me before we re-engage for the second part, we like to have a little look on social media to see what goes on because we record these episodes, uh, the race reviews at least, very, very quickly after the race itself. So some developments can happen. One of which was uh, uh, an interview with Ted Kravitz, who works for Sky F1. Now, Ted Kravitz was having a chat with Sergio Perez after the race. He was under the impression that Sergio Perez's future would be confirmed, or at least Red Bull's situation would be confirmed in the coming days. And Sergio Perez himself did look quite relaxed, even though people talking to him saying this could potentially be your last race in F1, or at least for some time. He did not seem concerned about his future. If anything, he seemed to come across as if he knew something that we didn't. Does that mean that we should be expecting a announcement from Red Bull in the coming days that Sergio Perez is going to be alongside Max Verstappen next season? 
or are they just teasing us and playing coy? We'll have to wait and see and find out. So going to drop a seed of uh, curiosity into your minds on that one. I certainly got my curiosity going. Um, I mean, I'm still expecting in the next couple of weeks, but you never, ever know. Things can happen very quickly in this sport. And uh, as we've seen in recent weeks, uh, most notably with the George Russell situation as well. So um, we'll leave that there. Let's talk about McLaren. Now, for those of you that don't know, McLaren today secured third position in the Constructors' Championship. The battle that we had been uh, seeing all season long that's been waging between McLaren, Racing Point, Renault and Ferrari and AlphaTauri on occasion has now finally concluded. And it's the McLaren team that managed to secure third place in the Constructors' Championship on the day that they were announcing new American investors investing a third um, investing a third worth of shares into the company, I think it was about 33% of stake in McLaren. So more private investment. They've managed to get that third place in the Constructors' Championship, which is the best result that they've had since 2012, back when Lewis Hamilton was driving for the team. That's how long ago it was when Lewis Hamilton had only won one World Championship. He now has seven of those. So what a day for McLaren Courtney is such a huge battle, especially after the turmoil and the struggles that they had at the beginning of the turbo hybrid era, when they went from Mercedes to Honda, the few difficult years they had back of the field, climbing all the way to try and get into the upper echelons of the Formula One grid. And today they've managed to secure their best result since 2012, as we mentioned. I mean, what a great day for McLaren. How must they be feeling right now? It's a great, great, great moment for McLaren. They're, Definitely been a team that's rejuvenated, full of positive energy, full of optimism going into the future. Um, you know, they've got a lot to look forward to with a Mercedes engine coming in. They've got new investment from American backers. Um, I think they've got, as, as sad as it is, the size is leaving, they're going to be having Daniel Ricciardo in with Lando Norris, which I think is a very strong and exciting uh, part of the ship. I think there's a lot for McLaren to sing about. They've got a massive fan base, particularly in the UK. They're not a small team. Anyone that knows anything about the history of Formula One know that McLaren are indeed a big team and they shouldn't be languishing towards the back. Um, but I think if I, if I look at one person, it doesn't seem to get enough credit for what he's done there and that is Zach Brown. Zach Brown has turned around the culture at McLaren, going from a team languishing at the back to getting themselves into a position where they could really be competing for wins and maybe championships in the future. So really big round of applause to Zach Brown. He's done a great job and McLaren looked to be in very good hands at the moment. Absolutely right. I mean, I remember when Zach Brown joined a few years back and a lot of people were saying that, you know, with Zach Brown's pedigree in racing, particularly in NASCAR and IndyCar as well, he was a man that, you know, it was very much about the marketing side, the business side of uh, motorsport, not necessarily a man who can make the right decisions in terms of building a team up or get the right personnel in. Um, you know, he's not, I suppose if you want to compare him to Toto Wolf, I think it's probably the bar, if you like. He's not as hands-on in a Formula One team as Toto Wolf is. You know, he hasn't got that know-how. He's a, He's very much a racing person. You know, that's not, kid ourselves here he's not just a businessman he knows his racing mm. he knows his cars but um it's fair to say Zach Brown needed that support 
of uh, people beneath him. James Key, for example, that they brought in from uh, Alpha Tauri now a couple of years back. Andrea Settle, who had a very successful stint with the Porsche Le Mans World Endurance Championship team. You know, he brought those people in. He brought in, he brought through Lando Norris. He brought in Carlos Sainz. And, you know, there's so many great people that we can talk about at McLaren, but the changes that they've made in the last few years in particular have been absolutely incredible for this team. They've seen an upward trajectory in their performance that, you know, perhaps only Mercedes could really rival in terms of how far forward that they have climbed up the ladder. Um, And it's culminated in a day like today where we've seen the efforts for many years now, since 2012, when they went on that slump in 2013 and 14, to the point now where they've really risen like a phoenix and secured that third place position. And that's going to be huge for them because, you know, the celebrations, the status that it will come with. This is a team that are used to winning world championships. I think only uh, Williams and Ferrari have had more success in Formula One than the McLaren team. But all that being said, McLaren have really come through the difficult period and are now in that position where, you know, they've got the Mercedes engine coming in soon for 2021. Of course, they will have to make some changes to the car to accommodate that. I have no doubts in my mind that that will be fine. You know, they've got a young star in Lando Norris, who once again today looked absolutely brilliant. Um, You know, certainly you know, a driver that's got plenty to offer. He finished ninth overall in the championship, uh, a little bit behind his teammate Carlos Sainz, but he was pretty much neck and neck with him all season. And they've got Daniel Ricciardo coming in, an experienced driver, a driver at the peak of his powers, in my opinion, a Formula One race winner. You know, everything is looking great for McLaren. And even if next season, at minimum, delivers third or fourth again, it does look like the recipe for success at McLaren is brewing very nicely and a couple of years time when we hit the reset button for 2022 McLaren could find themselves challenging for world championships again I've got no doubt in my mind it, it's as I, as I mentioned there's so many great people involved it's been a fantastic achievement for McLaren I'm really really happy for them to see them at least back to where they feel they belong at the top uh, amongst the big hitters of course we'll have to wait and see if they can make that final step but they are certainly Uh, given the competition that they had this season, Courtney, I think we said earlier this season that McLaren were improving, but they looked like they were falling away. Well, at the last part of the Mm. season, against expectations, against the expert opinions, they really did deliver. So, uh, you know, it's a fantastic achievement for them. I can't, I couldn't think I'd be happier for a team than McLaren after what they've done today. Fantastic stuff from them. Yeah, I think... You look at every aspect of that team. They've got so much to look forward to. Um, you know, I've always said they've they've already got a, quite a big fan base. I, I look I look at McLaren with a lot of excitement. I think the next few years could be special for this team. If all, if if they're carrying on the trajectory that they're on, the next few years could definitely be special for this team. And I think a lot of people in the in the Formula One world would be happy to see that. I mean, do we think they can maintain that performance in 2021? I mean, they're going to have the driver line up. Norris is going to be another year older, more experienced. Um, you know, he's improved on last season. His qualifying performances have been fantastic. I mean, this season, once again, he beat Carlos Sainz in qualifying nine races to eight. Of course, last season, he beat him by one race as well. Even though Carlos, slightly ahead of Lando in the championship, overall uh I think it was about eight points ahead of Lando but a couple of positions nonetheless it was that close between them do we feel that McLaren can maintain that performance bringing in Daniel Ricciardo what can he offer to that team as well as a second question uh that they perhaps didn't already have with their current lineup 
I look at both those drivers and obviously like certain on different levels, I'd say that both of the both of their drivers share a common trait. They're both jokers, they both know how to have a laugh. But when when that visor comes down on that helmet, they're both very good drivers and they, they do deliver in a big moment. So if McLaren get that dynamic right, to get the balance of when it's okay to have a laugh and when you take take it seriously, I think they've got a very, very strong lineup. If they get that car right, there's plenty, plenty of reasons for optimism for that team going forward. Yeah, I think you're right to point that out. I mean, we did an episode a while back about Lando Norris where we thought that was he the real deal or was he just the, the lovable joker? You know, the court jester, if you like, of Formula One. And, you know, a lot of people looked at that and thought that, you know, Lando, sometimes when he doesn't always perform as well as he could do, people are very quick to say, well, maybe he doesn't take it as seriously as the others. I mean, we're talking about the youngest guy on the grid, of course, until next season, um, where... Actually, no, that might be might be wrong. He might still be the youngest driver on the grid. I'm not sure if um, Mick Schumacher and and Nikita Mazepin... I know Nikita Mazepin, I think, is older. I'm not sure about Mick Schumacher. But, uh, yeah, Lando Norris is currently the youngest driver on the grid, I believe. Um, perhaps with the exception of Pietro Fittipaldi as a one-off. But people tend to look at Lando's jest nature, you know, that sort of happy-go-lucky fun nature when things haven't gone well for him. But this season in particular, I think Lando's had more fortune with reliability. He hasn't really had many performances robbed of him because of those issues. He had one at the Eiffel Grand Prix and, you know, so, but he got his first podium at the first race of the season in Austria. And he's really been good this season. I've been really impressed with the progress Lando's made. And I'm really confident that Lando can keep going with that upward trajectory. And with a teammate like Daniel Ricciardo, I couldn't think of a better person to learn from in terms of being able to be the fun-loving guy that everyone, and everyone loves Daniel Ricciardo for this. But as soon as that visor goes down, he's all about business. And that's what we love about Daniel. You know, he, he can separate those two characteristics or personality traits, if you like. Lando, we've seen this season, has shown more about that. And it's almost like... Uh, the dark horse or the underdog if you like you see him like you know he's doing a good job but no one really expected him to be that good well we need to give this kid some more credit because he's certainly delivering and I cannot wait to see that dynamic as much as I'm disappointed that we're going to miss out on the the bromance between Lando and Carlos Sainz and there was a brilliant video that McLaren did with some puppets with Lando and Carlos if you haven't seen I I love that because not just for the obvious I mean the funniest part of that was at the beginning where uh they walked into the McLaren Technology Center where they usually present the car and it was like a cinema, it's like a cinema screen, and they walk in and Lando said, No difficulties getting a seat. And then Carlos responded, Tell that to Checo. Um I, thought, I, I love that. I thought that was brilliant. I looked at it, I was like, oh man, that is so funny. Checo will probably look at that and laugh. But then as I said, Checo might know something that we don't. So uh, mm. you know, that might just be a little bit of jest and no bad repercussions from it so we'll have to wait and see but it's that dynamic where in formula one we haven't really talked often that there's so many bromances in the sport now between teams i mean ferrari have that with seven charles which obviously that's ending mclaren had that of course with carlos and lando which of course now daniel ricciardo is now going to come in it is a shame that we're going to lose that partnership between them but with that those two have brought out the best of each other when they came together and raced, they were always fair. They raced very hard with each other, but they were always fair. You never really saw too many complaints or any bad blood between them. At least if there was, it was very, very minor and it dissipated very quickly. 
you know, is it fair to say, Courtney, that, I mean, how can I put this? Are McLaren getting an upgrade in Daniel Ricciardo compared to Carlos Sainz? Because I looked at this situation as a Ferrari fan back when they announced that Carlos Sainz was replacing Sebastian Vettel and I wanted Daniel Ricciardo. You know, I was very vocal in this. And as much as I was happy that they signed Carlos Sainz, I felt he was the number two option and only slightly. Um, my opinion has not changed on this. I think Daniel Ricciardo would have been a better option for Ferrari. So with that in mind, are McLaren getting an upgrade with Daniel Ricciardo? Or do you feel that perhaps Carlos Sainz still has extra potential to tap into that McLaren are not going to realise and that will be to Ferrari's gain? So, yeah, I think with Carlos Sainz, he definitely has the talent and he's he's developed so much as a driver in the past couple of years. But when I look at Daniel, and particularly during his days at Red Bull, he is the king of getting results in chaotic races when, you know, one of the big guys crashes out or when there's multiple safety cars. And if McLaren get their development right, they could be in a position where they're strong enough to win races with a Dan with a driver like Daniel in races like that. Like we saw in China a couple of years ago when uh when uh Sebastian Vettel got spun into and you know you look at other races, you know, it was unfortunate in Monaco, there's another one that he could have won. But if McLaren are strong enough, they're close enough to Mercedes and Red Bull and there's carnage in the race. Daniel is very, very good at capitalising those situations. So, bearing that in mind, yet yeah, if McLaren get that right, they could be in a position to win a race next season. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think they could certainly be in the hunt. I mean, they very nearly won a race at Monza, that incredible race yeah. between Pierre Gasly, which is still probably my favourite race of the season all things considered. Uh, it's certainly going to be hard and we'll talk about the ups and downs for this season in next week's episode when we do our 2020 review so make sure to check that out uh, next weekend but um, yeah I think McLaren definitely will find themselves in the hunt for podiums and race victories more often if they keep going the way that they are and I don't see no reason why not. They've got the drivers they've got the personnel you know so many great people at Woking in the McLaren Technology Centre and I'm really looking forward to see what they can do with the Mercedes package that they're going to inherit from the Mercedes team that has been so brilliant for the Mercedes-powered teams this season. So let's move on to Racing Point. Commiserations to them coming fourth overall, still equaling their best performance in Formula One uh, under the Force India team a few years back when they achieved that. Very disappointing day for them. Sergio Perez retiring, although he was starting at the back of the field anyway, owing to some issues with uh, the engine parts. We had to get new engine parts. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out for him today. We had an early retirement when he was coming through the field. I think he got up to the back of the Ferraris just on the fringes of the top 10. Yeah, that's right, he did. Before yeah. that retirement. So he was certainly making his way up the field. And it's a shame we wouldn't, weren't going to get to see what Perez could do, uh, similar to what we saw him do the week before in Sakir, which was incredible. Lance Stroll didn't have the best of races, just about finished inside the top 10 and uh, was not able to make up the deficit to the McLaren team at the end. I mean, it's gut-wrenching for Racing Point. They've been talking all year about how they were really targeting perhaps a top three position. Uh, at the time, we didn't expect Ferrari to drop off as much as they did. We we felt after pre-season testing that Ferrari were holding back. Turned out that was their actual performance and... Uh, yeah, obviously what happened happened and of course amid the controversy with the legality of the racing point bearing similar hallmarks to the uh, w10 mercedes w10 from last season um 
how must they be feeling right now? Because last week was absolute ecstasy, considering that the week before was obviously difficult for them, missing out on a podium. It seemed like they were in prime position to take advantage this weekend and secure that third place. It just didn't happen for them. Um, do you feel that not achieving that is considered a failure for them? Or do you feel that they need to take stock of how well they've been uh, this season and that they've actually fourth place is definitely nothing to turn up, turn their nose up at? Um, with racing point, I think when they look back on this season after, you know, some time away from Formula One, I think the people at the top can look back and just think they were the victims of the culture of sport. Sport can be cruel. You know, they've had some some they've had some tough luck, particularly when it comes to unreliability, particularly considering they're a Mercedes powered team. You know, Mercedes teams have tend to have done quite well with reliability. So they've been very unfortunate in that sense. But I I just feel there'd be a sentiment, you know, from teams like McLaren, Renault, and even a decent section of the fan base that I think maybe this is karma because there was a lot of controversy given that they were called tracing point, given that the concept of their mm. car is very similar to last year's Mercedes. So putting everything together, I think they can be happy with the season. Um, it, it was, you know, they were just very unfortunate. But given the way that car was developed, I, I think overall they can't complain too much about how the season ended. No. I, I mean, it's one of those situations where you're so close and you've got it in your hands to actually deliver on this incredible position. And then it just slips away from you. And and I think it doesn't really sink in how well you've actually done over the course of a season. I mean, Racing Point have been incredible. They surpassed so many expectations. And for a lot of times this season, they really produced an excitement factor this season. You know, regardless of where you stood on the legality of the RP20, they really delivered this season. And it's a shame for them, but somebody's got to come third. Someone's got to come fourth in this situation. And uh, I can't say I expected it to be McLaren and then racing point for third and fourth at the start of the season. I very much expected Ferrari to be third, but uh, of course we'll talk about them briefly a bit later on. Uh, I saw another beautiful little piece of banter on uh, social media in the break. Um, Mercedes, obviously, they were parking their two cars uh, facing opposite each other on the grid when they were doing some donuts at the end of the race. And uh, Mercedes were obviously paying homage to the W11, saying it was a fantastic car, arguably the best car they've ever produced. I, I agree, definitely. Um, and obviously wishing it well to enjoy its retirement. In response to that, the Red Bull Racing admin on social media then replied saying, retirement? I'm not sure about that. And then tagged the Racing Point team saying, your 2021 car is ready to be picked up. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the, Aston, and, and the uh, Racing Point team responded beautifully with just a picture of Perez, the one that's looking going, that one. <laughs> I, I'm not doing They're it justice. It's, They're not wrong. I love it. Red Red, red ball will be uh, throwing some shade before next season kicks oh, off, I see. I love it. But I love the banter between these guys. Even Ferrari get in on this now, which is something I never thought I would see mm. uh, between the social media admins. I mean, the Mercedes one's definitely my favourite. I love whoever that guy is doing, them, or, or woman, doing the uh, Mercedes admin. Absolutely salute. I mean, salute all of you guys. You, you know, you guys do really bring an extra zest um, to the Formula One weekends that we certainly never knew we needed. But now that we have it, it's something that we absolutely love. So, you know, kudos to you guys for 
doing your part this season. And uh, it is such a healthy relationship. You know, the banter is always good. It's never too far over the line, but there are sometimes like that one, for example, where I thought, oh, that is a bit of a low blow, but it's still all taken in good chest. So, you know, brilliant stuff to see. But uh, I mean, Racing Point next season, are going to become Aston Martin. The big changes that we're going to see with that team, it's going to be a brand new look to it. Obviously expanding their facilities at Brackley next door to Mercedes. They're going to be much noisier neighbours next season I believe with the Mercedes team than they have been before of course becoming Aston Martin and with Seb Vettel joining them after his final race from Ferrari a similar question to before Corny in what way do if if you do feel it is that uh, Racing Point are getting an upgrade in Seb Vettel well do you feel that they're getting an upgrade into Sebastian Vettel over Sergio Perez Um, I personally would have preferred to have seen Vettel and Perez, but again, it's not down to me. Um, but with Sebastian Vettel, putting the last couple of seasons aside and the fact that particularly with younger fans, Sebastian Vettel seems to be portrayed as a meme more than anything else, which I think is a bit of an injustice. Sebastian Vettel is a multiple world champion. Mm. He knows how to he knows how to put together a team. He knows how to de- help develop a car that can win world championships. He didn't just do it by luck. He knows what he's doing and they're going to be getting some experience that they never really had with that team. And I just hope for Sebastian Vettel's sake that he takes that step forward. You know, I'm still not convinced by Stroll. So I have my doubts about how they're going to get on as, as a team with the Constructors' Championship. But with Sebastian Vettel, with that experience, you, you, can't, you can't really replicate it. You know, he's, he's won four World Championships. He's exceptional with his knowledge of the sport and he's going to really help the team go forward. But I, I just wonder if maybe the other driver could be a bit stronger. But I, I reckon Sebastian Vettel could do a decent job there. I certainly hope so. I mean, we're not expecting the racing point to be too different next season uh, to what it was this season. So it's still going to be blindingly quick. It's a very drivable car. So it's a car that I imagine Seb Vettel will enjoy driving a lot more yeah. than the uh, SF71, uh, or sorry, the uh, SF, I should say SF1000 that he's been driving this season. Uh, he probably wishes he was still in the SF71 uh, by comparison. But um, all things considered, Racing Point are getting, as you mentioned, a four-time world champion, a guy that's won over 50 Grand Prix in Formula One, only Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton have won more races in Formula One than Sebastian Vettel. And they are getting one of the best drivers of all time, not just statistically, but on merit as well. May not necessarily be at the peak of his powers. Of course, we'll have to wait and see how he does next season. But then let's not forget the dreadful season he had at Red Bull in 2014, when the car, as we saw, was nowhere near up to scratch in terms of what Vettel needed. So if Aston Martin can provide Vettel with a car, or a project where it allows them to provide him with a car in the coming years that he can get to grips with and really get the most out of his abilities that we all know he has, we may see a return to the Seb Vettel uh, that we know and love in terms of his driving ability. As a person, I can't think of a more wholesome, wonderful person in the Formula One paddock than Seb Vettel. I think one thing that we've learned this year about this guy is that that we may not have already known uh, is that how you know, how thoughtful and wonderful of a human being he really is. And I think the memes and the jokes aside and everything else that all drivers have, not just Seb, um, it, it's great to see that Seb still has that hunger and desire 
to go with this new project at Aston Martin, not drive off into the sunset after his previous success. And let's see where this goes. And hopefully it bears better results and more of the happier times for Seb Vettel. I, I mean, I will talk a f- in future episodes about some of my favorite memories of Seb Vettel at Ferrari. Um, you know, Malaysia 2015, in my mind, probably the greatest win for Seb Vettel, just in that era when Ferrari needed to take that stand to Mercedes. And he certainly led the charge on that. But sadly, didn't bear free from, but we'll talk about that a bit more in a bit. Um, and I'm looking forward to see how that goes on at Racing Point now that he's replacing Sergio Perez next season. Um, let's briefly talk about Renault. Uh, first things first, let's congratulate Renault. Their 400th Grand Prix, I believe it was today. So congratulations to them. Also, their final race for the time being as a Formula One team. They will revert to being an engine supplier uh, exclusively for the time being to the Alpine team, which is the sports car brand, which is partnered up with Renault. That will be taken on the responsibilities of the Formula One team. How would you feel that their season, uh, if they were to reflect on their season, how would you feel being a Renault person? Because, of course, they were in that hunt for that top three finish. It did seem for a while after the Eiffel Grand Prix and uh, obviously the Imola GP as well, that Daniel Ricciardo might be able to drag that Renault into third in the constructors. It wasn't to be. They ran out of steam at the final furlongs of the season. Um do you feel that they would be massively disappointed that they weren't able to get third in the Constructors' Championship corny, or do you feel that they'll be relatively happy considering that it looked like at the start of the season they were going to fall back into the uh, bottom tier of the grid, and instead they found themselves in a very good battle with the likes of McLaren and Racing Point for third place? Yeah, I think if you'd asked them this question a few weeks ago, I think they would have been disappointed. But I think if they look at this, the way the season went as a whole, they should be happy with where they finished. You know, racing point of McLaren have been exceptional by the terms this season. You know, a, a little bit of luck does come into it. Um, but, yeah, definitely. I think if, if you'd asked them a few weeks ago when I, when I had that great run of form, then, yeah, they would have been disappointed. But I think at this point, they should be happy and, you know, they're going into a new era. Fernando Alonso is coming back. So I'm sure they'll have their own reasons to feel optimistic going forward. Absolutely right. And uh, Fernando Alonso, as we know, I believe tomorrow will be the oldest driver to take part in a young driver's test um, to test out the current Renault car to uh, get to grips with it because it's going to be fairly similar to what he's going to be driving next season when the pre-season starts in February. So we're certainly looking forward to seeing how he gets on there. I mean, I'm excited to see Fernando back. I mean, it was a lovely feature this weekend, um, all through the weekend, not just on the one day, to see Fernando driving around in the R25, the 2005 Renault Formula One car that delivered not only his, but Renault's first Drivers' World Championship. Uh, The car that dethroned the famous Michael Schumacher-Ferrari partnership in 2005. I mean, there's so many elements to that car that I was watching the videos I sent to you as well on social media that really brought back the memories, most notably the noise and the power of the thing that could be heard for miles. You know, Lewis Hamilton was having an interview with someone and all you could hear was the Fernando Alonso's Renault going down the back straight and you just take some time to sort of ignore the interview and focus on how beautiful that sounds um I hear that and I just feel that there's got to be a way that F1 can try and incorporate something like that 
into these current engines, even if it's artificial, just to hear that sort of noise again, because that's the sort of thing that really makes F1 feel special. You know, scary, that monsterish kind of sound that, you know, the crescendos of that loud pops and the bangs and everything else is just fantastic to hear. It's a shame we don't have that, but uh, that's definitely something I've missed from the old V10 era. Yeah, I'll second that, mate. Um, whenever I think of that, you know, that the V the V10 engines, I'll just think of the Schumacher dominance as well. Mm. Um, certainly is, certainly feels like completely different times. And you're right, I mean, Formula One have got a lot to think about, you know, as we discussed in a previous episode about becoming, you know, more green, you know, because they need to. But if they could find a way to bring the, the sound of the V10s back along with coming we're becoming more environmentally friendly that would be fantastic because you're right the sound is one of the things that draws fans in you know i want next time i go to a race i like to uh have to i have to take a pair of earbuds in order to go to the races because when i went to a race in 2015 i didn't need them because the sounds are completely different as i'm sure most of you know so hopefully you do get that balance right between becoming more environmentally friendly and bringing a sound back because they are like when when I heard it because it reminds you because it's been such a long time it does mm. remind you of what Formula One used to be. It makes me feel old thinking about that to think that we are the, mate, the last time. I mean, even the V8s were still really really good, but the last time we heard V10 engines was back in oh god, trying to. It was that year, wasn't it? It's two thousand and five. I thought it was. Was it, was, it, was it not two thousand and seven that we went back to V8s? No, it, I'm thinking about 2005. I think no, it might no. be. We'll see. I think I think 2006 was the last of the V10s. Um, because that's the Ooh, year. Sure. Yeah, th- I think so. Because it was the last of the Schumacher Alonso battles before Schumacher retired. I think the V10s went with Michael Schumacher. Um, but uh, you're uh, gonna look. You're gonna check that out afterwards. You're gonna check it out. I'm fairly confident, <laughs> but I'll de- I think the V8s uh, came into 2007. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure. I you know who knows. Actually, you know, oh, this is annoying because you know why I asked this question? Because I, I'm thinking of, do you remember the Toro Rosso when they first came in and they had to use the Ferrari yeah. engine? They had rev limited V10s. Mm-hmm. So you, you might be right. I, I might be wrong on this one, but uh, I'm pro- I probably am now. But let me know in the comments section, guys, if uh, the V10s end in 2005 or 2006. Now that you've mentioned it, I feel, and I've just mentioned the Toro Rosso with the rev limited V10s. I feel like... Uh, it, 2006 oh. was to get first year of the uh, <laughs> VA engines. The noise was still fantastic, so you know, it's hard yeah. to say. But uh, yeah, certainly miss those times. Simple. It was a simpler time in Formula One. It wasn't as technologically complex or advanced as it is now, and it's better for it. But there are certain hallmarks where you just think about the good old days. I mean, we're too young to be reminiscing over the good old days, surely. But uh, <laughs> it does. You're right, though. It's, it's conversations like this that make you because where where Formula One's developing at such a higher rate, it, it does make you feel old because you think, God, oh, those mm. those cars are ancient in comparison. So it it's just, all right. It's all right. I feel the same. It just made me feel old just hearing that car and thinking, Wow, that was 15 years ago. Like, I mean, we were we were still at school together 15 mm. years ago um i mean it's been a decade since we both left anyway that this we digress on this one because we're going off a tangent and courtney i was expecting you to say back to george on that one so i'm a bit disappointed you didn't i'm pretty sure the comments... slacking. <laughs> we get lost in the uh nostalgia sometimes guys it's always exactly. a good thing you younger fans will get that at some point i'm sure but uh don't worry too much it gets worse from there i'm pretty sure anyway uh we'll talk about what brief... about Vettel? 
Yeah, I mean, oh, well, we was going to end the episode with Ferrari. I think a brief mention we should shout out to the Haas team. Um, I mean, the Haas team celebrating their 100th race in Formula One. Thankfully, they're going to be around for many more races to come, at least over the next five years, which is good. But we also have to say goodbye to Kevin Magnussen, who makes his final race in Formula One since joining the McLaren team back in 2014. It was. And uh, we talked about Roman Grosjean, who of of course, was meant to be making his swan song appearance in Formula One. But of course, owing to his injuries, he sustained from uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix. He was not able to do so, which is a shame. But it's good to see that Roman is progressing and uh, obviously making improvements to himself, which is fantastic and is the most important thing. And I look forward to seeing what he does. But uh, just a quick word on Kevin Magnussen. It's a shame that we never really got to see the best of Kevin Magnussen. I would say, ironically, the best performance Kevin Magnussen ever put in Formula One was his debut um, when he got a podium at the Australian Grand Prix in 2014 for McLaren. Um, you know, so it's a shame we never really got to see the best of Kevin Magnussen. Um, how would you rate Kevin's career in Formula One? Because, of course, there were some ups in the early stages and some downs, but, uh, you know, a lot of potential that never really was able to be tapped into. Well, yeah, I, I remember the I remember the hype about Kevin Magnussen when he was coming through um, junior categories, and um, when I look at back to the start of his Formula One career, he was very much one of the biggest victims of McLaren's decline. So he wasn't really able to showcase, particularly at the time, what he was able to give. And Formula One is so current and in the moment. If you're not able to showcase your talent on a regular basis it's very easy for people to forget that and unfortunately for Kevin he made a couple of moves that didn't really work out and he became more associated with you know incidents with teammates and you know avoidable accidents on track mm. so there was a lot of unluckiness with with his career and unfortunately he ended up at Haas which we all know what happened there with you know with a documentary where they became sort of more of a meme, they're known as more of a meme team rather than uh, achieving great things on track. And he just kind of, he just kind of tailed off. He was just, he was just very unlucky, particularly at the start in his McLaren years. But I think this is a perfect situation just for him to leave, be in a position where he can win in other, um, in other categories and maybe build more of a name for himself and have a successful career elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the beauty of Formula One is that even if you don't find yourself in a seat in Formula One, there's so many opportunities that get opened up to you to be successful in other categories. And sports cars, I believe, is where Kevin is going to go next season. Uh, obviously, you have to wait and see what happens with Roman, but uh, very much looking forward to seeing what Kevin Magnussen can do. He's a very good driver, and I have no doubts that he'll be very successful wherever he does decide to uh, compete in the future so best of luck to him in his future endeavors one of the only two drivers on the grid to have used all of the engines in the turbo hybrid era uh, the other one being nico hulkenberg after that uh, perform- after that brief spell with the racing point team this season using the mercedes renault ferrari and of course the honda engine very very briefly so um you know we'll have to see how they get on but uh, all the best to them and uh, brilliant performance to them. Of course, passage new for Haas with the introduction of Mick Schumacher and the very controversial Nikita Mazepin, who we will not be discussing in this episode. Uh, I think 
a lot of us on social media made our points clear about Nikita Mazepin and I certainly made mine on it but uh, that is we're not going to talk about that too much on this episode um, time and place for that one is uh, another time in a different place but uh, let's talk about Ferrari to finish off this episode um, I mean it, it's been an end to an otherwise difficult season for Ferrari the worst season on record for them since 1980 uh, where they finished 10th in that season. They finished 6th this year. Not a good season for Ferrari. Charles Leclerc in qualifying seemed to show a lot more promise. Of course, he had that penalty where after the incident in Bahrain, uh, Sakia Grand Prix, which was completely his fault. I think we could both agree and well-deserved. Um, I mean, Ferrari's race today kind of summed up their season because Charles Leclerc was on a decent strategy Seb was on a better one after the start he made where he got ahead of him. And when the safety car came out, it was such a bad time for them because Seb was kind of on a strategy where that really didn't help his race at all. And you could see how that really affected him because he could have been in the points today. He drove well under the circumstances on the harder tyre. And they didn't decide to pit Leclerc along with some of the other guys, which really bogged them down. And we've mentioned this before, Corny, but it's this indecision or lack of confidence in strategy and little things that creep into the uh, the game plan, I suppose, that Ferrari or lack thereof that always seems to hold them back. And when you've got a car that's performed as bad as this one has, and it really has been a terrible car, all jokes aside, you really need to maximise your performance in the other areas. And Ferrari have not really done that. I suppose the only shining uh, moment in Ferrari's season, or the only things to brag about, is the performance of Charles Leclerc, who, uh, you know, until the last few races of the season was absolutely superb. And, um, you know, but we're not going to focus on that too much. I think, you know, Ferrari have said a lot about how disappointing this season has been. Louis Camilleri, uh, the former CEO at Ferrari, recently resigned uh, this week. Um, not quite sure why. I mean, he looked into it, but he resigned. And uh, so his duties are going to be taken over by John Elkin, who was his co-CEO, if you like, until future notice. It might just be a restructured Ferrari or perhaps Louis felt that he couldn't continue for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, Ferrari have made changes there. Um, it's been a difficult season for Ferrari, as I've already said a few times in this episode. But um, what do you feel Ferrari need to do next season to try and get back into that uh, top three, if you like, of the paddock. Do you feel that they can? And if so, what do you feel that they need to do to try and get back into the the top three? Uh, Well, the main issue is the engine, which they're very confident that they could turn around next season. Um, The concept of the car, it's one thing having the engine, but they've in the past few seasons, they've got the concept of the car completely wrong. So maybe they've they've been working on that for a while now. We'll wait and see. But even if they get that right, Adam, they can't be making these mistakes. But if they're they're challenging for podiums and wins, they can't be making the kind of mistakes, whether it be strategic, making decisions in a moment, pit stops, still things like that. They need to be getting all these things right as much as possible. If they're going to be challenging at the front, they need to be sorting all these little aspects of their race weekends out Mm. in order to do that because the driver lineup is going to be good enough. They, you know, It'd be interesting to see how Charles gets on. If they, if they, if they become to put where they can compete, he'll be able to show what he can do again. Carlos Sainz will be definitely be up for the fight next season, but they need to be looking at all those little aspects of the race weekend. Mm. Because, yeah, I, I, like, 
they've got yeah they're going into another new era. It seems that every season is a new era for Ferrari, but they have to be getting these things right. With the big regulation changes coming up, they need to be getting these things right if they want to be get um, challenging for championships again. Well, the resources that they've invested into the team, uh, the last couple of years in particular, would warrant you to expect that a top three finish is the absolute minimum. And even then, it's probably considered a failure if they finish at the bottom end of it. They're targeting to win the World Championship. And they have come close in the last few years. But since 2019, it's really gone downhill. They tried to revolutionise the concept of their car um, that was so successful in 2018, perhaps didn't listen to the right people and went the wrong way on concept. This season, they've tried to make some changes underneath the car. It's a bit you wouldn't normally see rather than wholesale changes to the car. That obviously didn't work. Next season is going to be tough for them as well. They're very confident about their new engine. They call it Project Superfast. Uh, there's been some contrasting opinions on how good this engine is going to be. Some people say the uh, power performance is improvements in the region around 30 to 50 brake horsepower, which is quite a lot. They reckon that Ferrari lost as much as 60 to 65 brake horsepower compared to the engine that they had last season, which, of course, this car was designed around so that the power of the engine would compensate the uh, inefficiencies of the car. Uh, Obviously, we never got to see that because that engine was outlawed for reasons that we still don't understand because of the... uh, the agreement between Ferrari and the FIA pending that investigation. But um, a lot of work has to be done. I personally feel that next season will be better, but I still think they're going to be more likely fighting McLaren, Racing Point and Renault and Alpha Tauri possibly rather than Red Bull and Mercedes because of the fact that they can't just rip up the blueprints and design a brand new car. They're limited on what they can actually improve on the engine. They're limited on what they can improve from the aero concept. So as Louis Camilleri and John Elkin mentioned before, Ferrari really need to target 2022. And with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz now joining them, um, this is a lineup that I'm very excited about. I mean, Carlos Sainz has proven a lot of people wrong in terms of his outright potential. I mean, we we saw from the get-go, he was very quick when he first joined Formula 1 in 2015. He was competing with Max Verstappen. And, uh, you know, Carlos may not be um, on the level of a Charles Leclerc at their absolute peak, but he is definitely going to be giving Leclerc a lot to think about. I mean, they've had some good battles this season between the McLaren and the Ferrari. They had another good one today that Carlos came out on top with. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that goes. But it's going to be another year where I think Ferrari will make some gains. But I think they're going to have to curb their expectations. Anyone that thinks Ferrari is going to be winning the World Championship next season or even challenging the World Championship next season, well, I'll tell you what, if you're right, I'll tip my hat off to you. But I'm pretty certain that next season is not going to be as painful, but it's not going to be a complete overhaul. I can guarantee you that. Um, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add. Yeah, I think... yeah. Yeah, I think, as you said, um, there's such high expectations at Ferrari, which I feel has been a reason for their undoing. Um, but yeah, next season, just 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 go in with modest expectations. Don't get carried away. And look, if they, if they are at the point where they're challenging, it's a positive. It's a it's yeah, it's, it's a positive surprise, really, isn't it? So, mm. modest expectations would be my advice to any Ferrari fans. Yeah, I think patience has to be the key at Ferrari. I mean, I know it's been a long time since they've won a world championship. I mean, for some Formula One teams, 
12 years does or 13 years does not seem like a very very long time for ferrari it certainly is especially in the modern era uh considering that red bull have won uh four world championships and mercedes have won seven in, in that time frame it, it does seem like a long time ago since kimi raikkonen winning the world championship for ferrari and of course it's been ferrari, too long yeah it's been too yeah. long for a team of their size absolutely um, but i do feel good times are ahead for ferrari i certainly do feel that we're not going to see a similar deficit but it will not it won't be a complete overhaul i'd be amazed if ferrari could do that i don't think i don't think mercedes with that ferrari car could turn it into a world beater in you know with with what limited resources they can apply to this car the focus has to be on 2022 and ferrari have to make sure they get that right and uh, that uh, my mind that'll be their best opportunity they have to look then but we'll have to wait and see how that develops before we finish this episode quite a long one of course being towards the end of the season this was always going to be a long one we knew that so we appreciate with you sticking with us till then but let's talk about sebastian vettel I think there's no better way to end this episode. We already talked briefly about him, you know, how brilliant it's been to see the true Seb Vettel as a person, someone that I don't think we've really appreciated as much in the Formula One paddock until this season when we've not really been judging him on his ability in the car. We know his ability, his ability is unquestionable. But, um, I mean, his final race for Ferrari, the dream of trying to emulate the great Michael Schumacher, his hero, the driver he considers to be the greatest of all time, ultimately proved unsuccessful and uh, that's probably the cruelest part of all the fact that Seb was not able to win a world championship as narrowly close as he came particularly in 2017 and 2018 especially but uh, his final race today Ferrari mechanics gave him a guard of honor as he left the garage for the final time and as he finished the Grand Prix outside the top 10 of course um he, on the team radio, he was actually serenading the Ferrari team with a song. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, Courtney. It was on the, it wasn't on the live I broadcast. It was on the F1 TV online, the digital format. And uh, Seb Vettel was singing, um, in Italian, of course, the uh, song Azzurro by the artist Adriano uh, Celatano. So apologies if I got that wrong to any of our Italian uh, followers. Um, but yeah, the song Azuro, which is quite fitting in a funny way, because um, do you know what Azuro means in Italian, Courtney? Uh, blue. It does. It does. Well, sky blue, <laughs> light blue, if you like, to be exact. But yes. And uh, the reason why we find that ironic is because uh, the outro for our DNF1 F1 podcast is the song Blue Flag, the parody song about Sebastian Vettel. Um, and... It, you know, Sebastian Vettel was a meme. People talk about him moaning about blue flags a lot. So I thought it was kind of funny in a way that he would pick that song. But it must be a song that's close to his and the Ferrari team's heart. And uh, it was you must listen yeah. to the podcast, Adam. That's what it is. Oh, do you know what? I would love it if Seb did. And if he did, the first thing <laughs> I'd be saying to Seb is like, "Well, first of all, why are you not on this with us? Um, you know, <laughs> we need you to make us famous, Seb. We'd absolutely love you. I mean, I- I'd let him present it instead of me, and I'd happily watch it." Um, and I'm sure many of you will probably agree uh, if the opportunity ever came along. But uh, yeah, you know, Seb Vettel, so many great memories to his career at Ferrari. I mean, I, I could be here all day listing them. It's such a shame it didn't work out. But it was funny because he was singing that song to his Ferrari team and he actually had the lyrics on a piece of paper in, in his hand when he was singing it, which means that he was driving around all afternoon with a piece of paper in his car with the lyrics to the song Azuro. Um, that he was singing to the team. And uh, I mean, he, he had 
so many great memories of Seb. I mean, as I said, I could go on forever, but it's, uh, it does make me feel a bit emotional for someone like Seb Vettel leaving the team at Ferrari. Um, it, it's devastating the way that his time at Ferrari has ended. He certainly has not deserved this. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the beauty of sport. Sometimes you can have the romantic story, but then more often than not, it's never always the happy ending that you hope it to be. And uh, for Seb Vettel, his career at Ferrari, despite not rendering a world championship, he will still be regarded, in my opinion, as one of the greatest Ferrari drivers of all time. I certainly hope that we see the real Seb Vettel at Aston Martin. Um, and I certainly hope that Ferrari learn from a lot of the mistakes that they made when Seb Vettel was in that team um, and do a better job in managing the two drivers that they will have right now, because I certainly feel that this is the best move for both sides. And I certainly hope that 2021 onwards, we'll start to see Ferrari more like themselves again, and we'll start to see Seb Vettel fighting at the front rather than languishing in the midfield. Because as much as I enjoy seeing Seb and Kimi reuniting, I'd rather than not do it on a weekly basis on a racetrack um, in their respective cars. Yeah. I mean, the thing I there's a scenario next season which is very realistic. We could be seeing Sebastian Vettel battling with the Ferraris for position. Uh, I hope they Martin. do. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a massive possibility. And and would it be bad for me to feel that as a Ferrari fan, is it a cardinal sin that part of me wants to see Seb beat Ferrari <laughs> in an Aston Martin? No, I, I think I've been given the circumstances. No, I, I, I personally, I'd let you up on that one, mate. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. I don't know if my uh, some friends and family at the Scuderia uh, would agree with that and probably disown <laughs> me after saying something so trivial. But uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a hopeless romantic when it comes to sport and when it comes to Formula One. I really am going to miss Seb Vettel at Ferrari, and uh, I'm just so glad that he's got the send-off that he deserved. I think Charles Leclerc obviously paid homage, paid tribute to him with the helmet he had today, similar to Seb saying, Danke Seb, obviously thank you Seb in German. And uh, they presented him with a trophy that looked like the Champions League trophy. Um, I didn't see that either. It was on social media. It's another little nugget on social media that I sent to my brother saying, Seb Vettel's won the Champions League for Ferrari. So that's something obviously to cheer about because, yeah, that's what it looked like, you know. I don't think there's any, there's much more really to say. I mean, this second part's nearly gone an hour, so uh, we'll have to probably... Jeez. We could go on for a while, guys, and uh, we appreciate for those of you that have followed us on it all this time and enjoying it so far, but uh, this is what Formula One does for us. We could talk about it for hours. I know I certainly can, but there we go. But, uh, yeah, tear-joking moments all together. But, uh, of course, guys, we've got more great content in the winter break, so don't think because the Formula One season is over doesn't mean to say that our content is going to stop until next season we've got plenty coming your way we've got our 2020 season review next week and of course just before christmas we're also going to have an episode reviewing and reminiscing on lewis hamilton's success where we'll have or try to have a special guest on there if we can that uh, knows a few things about lewis hamilton in particular so we're really excited about that um all this i have to say for those of you that haven't already, make sure to like this video, share with everyone you know, and thank you for those of you that do, and also subscribe to the channel on YouTube. That's DNF1-F1 Podcast for those of you that haven't already, so make sure to subscribe. Let's get this channel to 1,000 subscribers. 
by the end of 2021. The road to 2022 starts, or the road to 1000, if you like, starts today. So make sure to do your part and help us out. And we love you so much for those of you that have already done so, for those that will continue to support us on this channel. Make sure also to follow the podcast on social media handles on Facebook, DNF1 F1 podcast, and on Twitter and Instagram, DNF1 underscore podcast as well. Make sure to get following on those as well for some more great content and insight from yours truly and the wonderful and very clean cut looking Mr. Courtney Pine, as I've already mentioned already. And once again, Courtney, thank you for joining us and co-hosting this podcast. It's been an incredible season. Um, can I press you before we go for your highlight of the season? If you can pick one moment this season that has been the outstanding highlight for you. Uh, Turkish Grand Prix, it offered everything that you could ask for in a race and crowning Lewis Hamilton as a seven-time world champion. I couldn't think of a better race, to be honest. How about you, mate? How about you? Well, there's two. I was going to pick, if George Russell had won the Sakir Grand Prix, hunting down Sergio Perez and passed him to win that race, I would have picked that moment. Uh, because that was one of the most exciting moments I've seen all season. George Russell on the chase, thinking he's going to do it. And then the the puncher kind of tarnished all the hopes of that happening. So I'm, I've, I think there's only one winner for me, and that is Pierre Gasly winning the Italian Grand Prix at Monza after everything that he had been through in the past year, with obviously losing his seat at Red Bull, the death of his friend Antoine Hubert, his best friend, and coming back from all of those setbacks back in the AlphaTauri to culminate an incredible drive at Monza and the chase and the finale of that race with him and Carlos Sainz was absolutely incredible had us all on our seats that would be my highlight of the season um Pierre Gasly winning the I'm Italian argue that really but let us know guys what is your favorite moment of the season let us know in the comments below if you have one and we will be discussing more great moments like that in the 2020 review this time next week but until then guys thanks for tuning in stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast See you soon. Podcast Network.